0: Hello, good day, and welcome to Party in China, Series 2, Episode 30. I'm dedicating this episode to my brother Connor, without whose skill and soldering iron my recording equipment would still be stuffed. As previously advertised, this is the penultimate episode... And as I completely lose my mind at the end of this story, I thought I'd start with something sensible. If you're going to be spending time in China, the two most important things to remember are, number one, don't drink the tap water. Number two, always carry your own toilet paper. If, by chance, you forget number one, then you better double up on number two because you'll be doing tsunamis of number twos for longer than seems humanly possible. And even if you do remember number one, you'll probably still find yourself in that unfortunate position at least once. After the first six weeks or so, most of the foreigners of my acquaintance would violently void their digestive systems from teeth to tukus, over several days. It didn't seem to depend on diet or climate, it was just a mandatory purging. Whatever causes it doesn't affect the Chinese as they grew up with it, or maybe that's what drinking all that hot water is about but the locals do seem highly susceptible to colds and sniffles as soon as the weather turns wintry. Adults and teenagers often wear surgical masks to try and avoid infection or contain their own germs. But due to the national policy of encouraging younger children to instantly let everything out of any orifice, whenever and wherever they feel the need, I soon lost count of the number of times I'd ask a younger student a question and bend down low to try and hear from them, only to receive a face full of flying sticky snot by way of answer. Ah, There was never any apology, but I couldn't imagine that they were doing it on purpose. So I just added the sneeze to my list of upsetting bodily emissions in public. Expectoration, urination, defecation, regurgitation, and finally sternutation. At least I hoped it was finally, as I prayed to never witness public ejaculation. Ugh. After the Suzhou debacle, I was ill myself. Mentally ill. Depression. And not just because I'd failed to land a better job in a nicer city. That happens to me all the time. It was because I felt stupid. So very, very stupid that it challenged my sense of identity, which was already besieged by being a barely functioning illiterate in Chinese society. It's one thing to be bewildered by a very different culture. I'd long ago come to realise that I knew nearly nothing and understood less every day. But it was another thing to think that I comprehended the situation, that I was correctly interpreting how Mr Yule and Amber felt, and what they were telling me, only to find myself entirely wrong. I've always hated feeling stupid. I'm still upset about a high school incident in which everyone in my class understood something before I did. There was a temporary teacher, I forget his name, but he always wore a tweed jacket. So Mr. Tweed announced he wanted us to call out whatever numbers he wrote on the board. He then made meaningless squiggles in chalk, and one boy immediately called out a number, which Mr. Tweed pronounced as correct. The next squiggle, a few voices answered correctly. After 10 minutes or so, most of my class were calling out and enjoying the game. Yet I still felt like an imbecile. I had no bloody idea what was going on. What was going on was that it was a setup. He told a couple of favourites to ignore whatever he wrote and just watch his left hand, with which he held his lapel. Now, with those fingers, he was indicating the numbers. If he held out two fingers and then four fingers, the number was 24. One finger, three fingers, one finger was 131. You get it. I only twigged when some boys jumped the gun and yelled out the first digit of his digits before he added the second and or the third. Now, why am I telling you about him? Sometimes when my train of thought starts off, I'm still standing on the platform waving goodbye. Oh, I know. I was reminded of that horrible incident every time I bought something small. A snack, a drink, a pen. Because the Chinese often tell you the price by gesturing with their fingers in a manner uncannily like, Mr Tweed. What's that you say? You want to learn how to hand count like the Chinese? Well, luckily for you, I'm a teacher. Clench your left fist. You know, I really like the idea that all over the world, people are staring at their left fist right now. <laughs> okay, to a one, E, point your index finger like a pretend pistol, but don't cock your thumb. Two, R, point the middle finger as well. Three, San, the ring finger joins the other two. Hold your little finger down with your thumb if you have to. Four, shoo. The little finger or pinky joins the lineup. Five, woo. The thumb comes out too. So far, pretty much common sense, but now it all goes Chinese. Six, Leo. The thumb and pinky are the only ones out now. Imagine you're in a heavy rock audience or signalling someone to call you. Seven, chi. Hold your hand like you're making a sock puppet with the thumb and index finger touching at the tip. Eight, bar. Now you've got your pretend pistol, thumb and index finger out. Nine, jaw. Rotate your wrist so the knuckles are pointing upwards. Hold your thumb and index finger so they're a couple of inches apart as if holding a battery by the top and bottom. 10. Sure. Clenched fist again, just like when we started. They also indicate 10 by crossing their index fingers at the knuckle, and that's because the written symbol for 10 is a cross. But on my very first day in China, I bought something cheap and the woman crossed her fingers at me. I saw she was making an X, but assumed she was conversing in Roman numerals and handed over the ten yuan note she was asking for. So we were both happy, and I was both completely correct and quite, quite wrong. Oh, I was blue, I was down. The black dog was at my heels and my skies were dull and gray. But that was just the pollution, nothing to do with my mood. Irish John and South African Natalie tried to alleviate my depression by organising a birthday dinner. The whole time I'd been in Ganyu, the building next to Sugwa Supermarket, had been under construction. Nothing unusual there. You can't walk a block in any city without seeing cranes and bamboo scaffolding. The unusual thing was that this construction was completed and a brand new mall, all clean and shiny, opened up. Most exciting of all the new stores was a pizza restaurant on the top floor. So on my birthday, eight or ten of us tried it out. Mainly foreigners, but with a couple of Chinese friends. Rona used the occasion to introduce her boyfriend to the group. I thought him a bit of a gormless twat, but if that's what she liked, good on her. Pretty Betty had promised to bring her fiancé too, but he never showed, so they just had an argument over the phone instead. The pizza was ordinary by Western standards, but quite good for China. After the main course, a huge cake slathered in white icing was brought out, complete with a plastic pink and yellow octopus with a candle at the end of each tentacle. So I had apparently turned eight years old. It was fun and we all agreed to go back often. I can't speak for the others, but I never did. Irish John had found a new drinking hole a few blocks away, which looked more like the bars I'd seen in Kyoto, all wooden and rustic despite being in the middle of the city. It attracted a pretty cool crowd and musicians often played there on the small stage in one corner. Even better was that the microphones and amps were always left there and left turned on. So John and I would perform Irish rebel songs a cappella until somebody complained and the bar staff would literally pull the plug. Switching off the microphone didn't stop us singing, but as John had slightly different lyrics than I'd remembered, I'd often have written his version on the back of Coaster's. So if they turned the lights out, I was done. I recently read that it's been scientifically proven that spending time on a beach helps alleviate depression. Yet another case of studying the bleeding obvious. From day one, I'd been told of a very nice beach nearby, but insufficiently nearby, to ride there and back on The Ganyu Flash! But the morning after my birthday, I considered riding there anyway and banking on being able to find an electrical outlet to recharge her for the return journey. But I decided to take public transport instead. Now, here is what I wrote at the time about the experience. I feel it shows how very low I'd slumped mentally. My Day at the Beach by Party Parslow, age 54 and one day. Very cold here now, went to the nearby beach for the first time. It's a 30 to 40 minute ride on a bus too low to stand up in, with seats too small to sit straight in. To a place optimistically called the Hai Zhou Wan Scenic Area. At first, the scenery consisted of ugly buildings in a dusty street, with the dust being militarised by a fierce cold wind. But 20 minutes wandering revealed some constructions which resembled holiday resorts. Decrepit resorts for depressing holidays. And I was soon looking at the beach... I imagine, in a spirit of kindness, you can call a thin strip of litter-strewn, dirty sand a beach. When planning the excursion, I had seen myself sitting in a warm cafe or restaurant with an ocean view, lunching on enticingly tasty seafood. However, the only establishment open was a kind of kiosk with a wizened woman selling ugly, ugly animals made out of seashells. I nearly bought one because it was so unbelievably bad. It was a dog, or may have been a horse, but knew that after the initial novelty, I couldn't look at it without shattering its stupid face. The water was dirty and brown. The waves were weak and apologetic. Every 50 yards or so, there's a small bunker. Small for Chinese, tiny for me with firing apertures aimed up and down the beach as well as out to sea. Surrounding most is a concrete apron with dozens of what I first took to be concrete benches. Most uncomfortable. But as I walked, they vastly increased in number and now resembled gravestones. But that made no sense. Why would you bury thousands of people on a beach right down to the waterline? I eventually came to believe them to be antique tank defences. As the beach faces Japan, there's some kind of logic to it, although these looked far too new to be from any past conflict. Also, every kilometre or so, there's a sand ramp that lets the fishermen drive caterpillar tracked platforms down into the water to unload their catch. So surely the tanks would just drive up them to the dirt road and then blow up the bunkers from behind. If I was a paranoid Chinese general, I'd bury explosives in each of the sand ramps. So I made sure not to walk on them in case my bulk too closely approached that of some high-tech, lightweight, robotic Japanese fighting machine. The wind was freezing strong, My ears and nose lost all sensation as I walked around for a couple of hours, during which I found an old piece of rope, had two dogs go for me, saw a dead baby seal and a live water buffalo. The end. My depression meant that I'd pretty much given up trying to have fun in the classroom, but do recall a lesson in Aston when, despite Ronner's attempts to get me to keep to the textbook, I decided to teach the children the song That's Entertainment, the original from the 50s musical, not the Clash hit from the 80s. I could only remember the line, it's a clown with his pants falling down. So they were singing, A Clown... With his pants falling down, a clown. With his pants falling down, a clown. With his pants falling down. That's entertainment, which I so completely enjoyed that it's now the only way I can sing it. A clown, with his pants falling down. Oh, a clown, with his pants falling down. Yes, a clown, with his pants falling down. That's entertainment. In the next episode of Party in China... No, wait, I'll rephrase that. In the final episode, there'll be no singing. Promise. But there will be dancing and magnetic levitation. I'm Party Parslow. Thanks for listening to... A Clown. With this pants falling down. Oh, a clown. With this pants falling down. Yes, a clown. With this pants falling down. That's entertainment. A clown. Where this pants falling down. Oh, a clown. Where this pants falling down. Yes, a clown. You've been listening to Party in China. For more, like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to the podcast at Audio Boom, Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.